0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, I'm Pastor John, for those of you who haven't had a chance to meet yet. And I have to say, Pastor Jonathan did a good job of summarizing last night. However, he left out the best part. So I don't know if he did that good of a job. Where is he? He's not in here. Okay. Yeah. We celebrated a baptism last night. Um, Natasha Gupton. He didn't mention that, did he? Yeah. There you go. Natasha Gupton was baptized. One of the students in confirmation decided that she wanted to also be baptized who hadn't been before. So we got to celebrate that, which to me was the highlight of the evening. And every baptism is just a time of celebration for us. So don't tell him I said that, though. He did a great job. Um, with Sarah's house, as Pastor Jonathan beginning the service mentioned, we are going to be doing this partnership with Sarah's house over the next few months. And you're going to hear a lot about Sarah's house. And I know many of you are familiar with Sarah's house and the ministry that they uh, perform here. But for those of you who aren't, Sarah's house works with women who are making changes in their lives. Um, They have different houses, um, facilities that women can go and stay at who are making necessary changes in their lives. And they support women through those transitions. So, I do encourage you to to begin that process of supporting them in that ministry by taking the baby bottle, and over the next few weeks, whenever you have change, if you have just any money left over, you just put it in the baby bottle, however small it is, just put it in there, and then on Mother's Day, we're going to ask everybody to bring those back here, Um, and it's going to support the women who are there and the children who are there at Sarah's house. So those are at the hub, right out there, Um, grab one on your way out, and... Um, also be ready that we're going to have some other ways for you to support Sarah's house. Um, Not just um, with the baby ball campaign and not just with the golf tournament. We're going to have some other ways as well coming up here. Laura, did I do it justice? Laura is the director of Sarah's house and she also attends here as a, as a member that right. Okay, great. Yeah. If you have any other questions, you can always ask Laura too. She'll be here in a few weeks, uh, speaking to us and letting us know more about the ministry, but I invite you to just come alongside the work we're doing with Sarah's house. But, For this week, this is Palm Sunday. And as Pastor Jonathan said, it begins Holy Week, where we journey to the cross and to the resurrection with Jesus. So I'll be reading from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and I invite you to hear God's word. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, And immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said. And they allowed them to take it. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! That was a good timing there. (laughs) Really, really gave that Hosanna some oomph. Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. Please join me in prayer. Lord, as we turn to your scriptures now, we ask that you speak to us. You've gathered us here so that we can lift our voices up to you. You've gathered us so that we can partake in communion. Come to your table. You've gathered us so we can lay our prayers before you. But you've gathered us also. So we could hear your word. So that your Holy Spirit would shape us and form us into your likeness, Lord. So help us to be followed by you. Or help us to follow you, Lord. Help us to be led by you. And help us to understand how we can lift you up as Messiah. Lord, Guide us now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, this is Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we celebrate what's called the triumphal entry. But in that name, there's a bit of irony. Because as I think many of us know, this seems triumphal, but it will end with Jesus going to the cross. And in that Jesus defies some of the expectations that were placed on him, especially expectations when he would walk into Jerusalem in this way. Now, I think that one of the most important things we as human beings can do is choose who's going to lead us, choose who we are going to follow. And we all have many different people and groups and organizations that vie for us to follow them. They want us to live life in the way that they're teaching us and who we select to actually lead us in all sorts of different areas of life. Whose authority we decide to submit to, it's one of the most important decisions. It will shape who we are. I know there's a few of people who say like, well, I'm independent. I don't lead or I don't follow. I'm a leader. We all follow somebody. We all gain information, examples from other people. Every single one of us chooses who we're going to trust and whose example we're going to follow in different ways. And those decisions are so important. And I raise that issue because in this passage, Jesus is essentially auditioning for the role of leader. It's specifically the role of Messiah here. But Jesus is, is portraying himself as the Messiah. It's really clear, actually. The language that is used here, the Hosanna, the coming kingdom of David, all of that is connected to the Messiah. The Him riding in on a colt, and we know it's a young donkey. That comes from a mess- messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. And if you read the way the passage is set up, Jesus has arranged this. He's set this all up. The disciples know where they're supposed to go. They know what they're supposed to say. Jesus has arranged this. He's intentionally presenting himself as the Messiah. And that may seem obvious to many of us because you think of Messiah, you think of Jesus because we're Christians with 2,000 years of history that ties the Messiah to Jesus. But in Jesus's day, it wasn't actually that clear what the Messiah was supposed to do. People had all sorts of disagreements about what the Messiah was supposed to do, what that role meant. It comes from Hebrew, and it really just means anointed one. And there was all sorts of debates about what was expected of the Messiah. You can even go back and look at history and see some other false messiahs who gathered followings, who they claim the role, or somebody else put the role of Messiah on them. And you can see that they don't really all line up perfectly. There's one, his name was Zerubbabel. It was during this period where Jerusalem was occupied by the Persian Empire, and he was a governor, and he helped to build te- the temple. The temple had been destroyed by Babylon. He helped to rebuild the second temple that was there. And people called him a Messiah. He was a governor of Persia. And when people called him a Messiah, some of them wanted him to try to overthrow the Persian Empire, to kick them out of Jerusalem. He didn't do that. He let those expectations down. But for a time period, he was called a Messiah. And then a couple hundred years later, this family arose. A new empire had taken over Jerusalem. It was a Greek empire. And this family arose. And it was a Jewish family And they ended up trying to overthrow this Greek empire to kick them out of Jerusalem. And they actually did it. They revolted. They won the war. Jerusalem was theirs. And people started calling members of this family the Messiah. Different members of them at different times the Messiah because they'd overthrown this empire. But as time went on, they became corrupt. They didn't live up to expectations. And then eventually the Roman Empire came in and took over Jerusalem. And what's interesting is that at that point, King Herod begins to be called a Messiah. We don't think of Herod as a Messiah because the New Testament is clear that Herod was evil. That Herod was scheming. That he didn't fit anything related to God's character. He didn't line up with God's character at all. But people nonetheless, in the day, in, in that day, called him Messiah. Messiah. He ruled at the behest of Rome, though. He never overthrew Rome. But because he ruled and there was peace, as long as they did what Rome said, some people called him Messiah. And then 100 years after Jesus, there's somebody else who claims the role of Messiah, who tries to lead a revolt against Rome, tries to kick the Romans out. And it's an utter failure. It's absolute failure. It doesn't take Rome long, to end this revolt, but that person was called a Messiah also. With these different examples that I gave you, I think what you can see is that there was confusion about what a Messiah was exactly supposed to do. Some of them tried to lead revolts, but not all of them. Zerubbabel did not try to lead a revolt and was still called a Messiah. Herod didn't try to lead a revolt and was still called Messiah. Some of them were successful in their revolts, the only thing I think that kind of ties them all together is one, they're, they're Jewish. And two, there was some sort of question of power and leadership. But people were confused about what the Messiah was supposed to do. That's why when you read the Gospels closely, every once in a while, they'll have a crowd there who starts asking, can Jesus be the Messiah? Can he be the son of David? They're asking the question, Because it wasn't that clear. So that's where, when we see the triumphal entry, when we see Jesus riding in to Jerusalem, what we see is Jesus rewriting the role of Messiah. Jesus is claiming the imagery for it, but he's actually defining what Messiah is. And the early Christians, they'll go back and they'll define Messiah by Jesus. But, In the midst of this, Jesus has all these other expectations to deal with. And each of the Gospels will eventually let down common expectations. Remember I said the only thing that really tied the Messiah together was power and being Jewish or being a leader and being Jewish. That's the only commonality there. But when Jesus rides into Jerusalem here, the triumphal entry, he rides in in most of the gospels, exactly how you would expect a Messiah to ride in. He rides in in Matthew. This is a, a verse from Matthew that's a triumphal entry. By the way, the triumphal entry is one of the uh, few things that's in all four of the gospels. So in Matthew, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and we're told that the whole city is in turmoil, which is what you would expect from a Messiah. And they begin asking, "Who is this?" And some say he's a he's a prophet. And Jesus, we know, is claiming more than just being a prophet here. Because then Jesus enters into the temple and he drives out all those who are selling and buying in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. This is something that you'd expect a Messiah to do, to go in and claim the temple, take control of the temple. Matthew lines up here. Now, we know Matthew will lead to the cross also, which is not what is expected of a Messiah. Luke says something similar. He has the Pharisees and crowd saying to Jesus, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And then Jesus comes near to Jerusalem and begins to weep over it. And then what does he do? He stops weeping. He goes into the temple and he clears the temple and claims the temple. Again, this is stuff that's similar to what you would expect from the Messiah. It lines up with the expectations of the Messiah. The gospel of John, the Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Jesus has this large following. Matthew, Luke, and John, they line up with what was expected of a Messiah. The triumphal entry makes sense in those gospels. Again, they do get to the point where Jesus will fail those expectations. I mean, Jesus doesn't go in and try to overthrow Rome. He doesn't go in and try to grab power. But with the gospel of Mark, it's like Mark wants to let our expectations down right away. Because I don't know if you caught it when I read the passage, but in the gospel of Mark, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he goes right to the temple. And as a reader, you'd be expecting, okay, he's going to take control of the temple. He's going to grab the temple. But what does Jesus do? He walks into the temple. He looks around, checks his watch says it's a little late, and he hightails it out of Jerusalem. Nothing happens in the triumphal entry in the gospel of Mark. Jesus will spend another day there in Bethany, and then eventually he will go into the temple and and clear it, but it's not tied to the triumphal entry. Mark has this pause here where he says almost, I know what you're expecting, but that isn't what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is auditioning for the role of Messiah here, but as he does it, he's rewriting it. And Mark is highlighting just how much Jesus is rewriting this role and the expectations of Messiah. Compared to those other figures that claim the role of Messiah, the only thing Jesus has in common is that he's Jewish. Because Jesus never tried to grab power. In fact, in one story in the Gospel of John, the people want to make him king, and Jesus runs and hides. According to Jesus, the Messiah wasn't there to grab power. What being a leader meant, what being the anointed one of God meant, wasn't that you tried to grab power. It wasn't that you began an overthrow. It wasn't that you tried to build up a big military and to be strong and mighty. If you expect that of the Messiah, Mark is telling us, you're going to be disappointed. I said at the beginning of the sermon here, choosing our leaders is one of the most important things we can do. Choosing the people that we're going to follow, choosing the examples that we're going to lift up, who we give our attention to is one of the most important things that we can do. And I don't think today people present themselves as Messiah they don't really use that word. But far too often, they do what a lot of those other false messiahs that I mentioned did. They try to grab power. They try to say that they're going to fix everything, that they're going to make everything right, that they are the ones who have the power to do so. And a lot of the times they always say, don't always, a lot of times they say, they're the only one who has the power to do this different leaders in different spheres, it's a game that human beings play. They grab power, and at the end of the day, they're doing it for their own sake. It's not something that's ordained by God. It's not something that reflects God's character at all, what they're trying to accomplish. Jesus is the one who lays out for us what a leader is supposed to look like, what a Messiah is supposed to look like, what somebody anointed by God, serving God, how they behave, how they are supposed to behave. Jesus is the one who lays that out for us. As we celebrate Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, we celebrate Jesus assuming the role of Messiah. And here's the thing if Jesus is your Lord, if Jesus is your Messiah, if you believe he is the anointed one of God, then there isn't room in your life for leaders who don't reflect Jesus's character. There isn't room in your life for other people who would claim for you to follow them, who don't simply live life the way Jesus instructed, the way Jesus modeled, who aren't at least trying to live life in Jesus's way. Jesus didn't spend his time as Messiah in his earthly ministry trying to grab power for himself. He ran away from power. Jesus didn't spend his earthly ministry trying to highlight who his followers' enemies should be. He didn't try to define who their enemies should be. Jesus instead spent his earthly ministry, his time as Messiah, highlighting how we should love our enemies, how we should pray for those who persecute us, how we should serve those who would even seek to harm us. That's what a Messiah does. That's what the anointed one of God does. And any leaders who run counter to Jesus' message, that's not of God. And that's not somebody that we should follow. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah in his way. Nobody else's. Let me just say, the way of life Jesus lays out for us, I can't think of a better, more perfect, more beautiful way of living life. It runs counter to everything the world teaches us. The world teaches us to defend ourselves, to protect ourselves, to secure ourselves. And Jesus says, sacrifice yourself. And there's something in that sacrifice that God blesses, that reflects God's character. So this morning, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Recognize that the triumphal entry is an ironic name. He doesn't enter into triumph. He enters in to die, to go to the cross. And through God's victory and the resurrection, there is a triumph that is accomplished, but it's completely different than what anybody expected. Jesus rewrites the role of Messiah, putting sacrifice at the center of that role. If you want to follow this Messiah... Be prepared not to fight, not to win. Be prepared to lose and be prepared to sacrifice on behalf of the world that God loves dearly. That's Jesus's example here. So please pray with me. Lord, you are the Messiah. You're the one who defined that role. And Lord, when you did so, You rewrote the script of what a Messiah is supposed to do. You changed the expectations of the Messiah. And Lord, it's so easy for us to be enamored with leaders who speak strongly, who speak powerfully, who present themselves as having all the correct answers, who present themselves as a solution to our problems but help us to run from those types of leaders, Lord. Help us to pursue you, your way of being Messiah. Help us to sacrifice in the way you sacrificed. Help us to give of our lives for others in the way you did. Instead of going around trying to fight, Lord, help us to go around trying to heal in the way you spent your time in your earthly ministry. Lord, help us to be your followers in this world.
1: separated Until the veil was torn The moment that hope was born And guilt was pardoned once and for all Captivated But no longer you've done we will pour out our love